Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. Wow, feels good. Thanks for being here on a time where you could be out and about and having some fun, which I know some of our family members are out and about. So hopefully they're, uh, you're streaming in, watching us, or at least you're getting to watch this at a later, at a later time. Um, I'm going to do a little quick intro because we're shifting gears here, and then we'll get into the, the message. So congratulations. We've made it through First and Second Corinthians. We went through it chapter by chapter. Feels great. I thought those were great two books. Um, uh, the main, the main theme that's been uh, constantly coming back to you is because of what we've been given. We have much to give. Um, and before we move on to our next book that we'll go through portion by portion, um, the preaching team decided that it would be beneficial to, uh, after we've gone through more of like a magnifying lens type look over the passages, that it would be better to take a step back and kind of look over what have been some major themes that have been wired through the entire letters. Um, and so we're going to do three more sermons of, from First and Second Corinthians. And what I would highly encourage you to do is read them as much as you can in a block. Um, because that's going to allow you to, and I'll give you a little preview of what those are going to be. So when you go and read that, take like an, two hours. I think it's probably an hour to two hours of try to read through First and Second Corinthians in one swoop. Uh, and kind of just pick apart each time you come across one of these themes to give you a better uh, view of how they're themed together rather than a, a, a zoomed-in scope could help your perspective. So this one's going to be on suffering and comfort. Um, and then two more coming up are reconciliation and then boasting. So I would encourage you highly, read through them as much bulk as you can, you know, five chapters at a time or even just everything, whatever, and try to find some of those themes and see how they link together because that's what we're going to be doing primarily today. So I'm going to pray since we're talking about suffering and comfort. Um, it's a big deal, and I want to do it well, and I pray that God would give me the word. So let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are God of mercy and comfort, and we need you here and now as we talk about suffering. Uh, I don't hear too many people leaving the church over whether we should baptize adults or baptize babies, and I don't hear too many people leaving the church on, you know, the order of salvation and how all that works, but I hear all kinds of people leaving the church because of suffering in the world. And I pray that <clears throat> you would give me wisdom and grace to speak about such a serious topic um, that we would not misunderstand suffering and, and that all of us endure it, but that we would be um, have resolve as we suffer in our sound theology of truth and faith and loyalty and trust in you as a good God, despite what we feel temporarily. Um, so pray for wisdom and peace and grace on all of our hearts now as we talk about a very trying subject. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we're going to go over First and Second Corinthians, um, the theme of suffering, and how it's been wired throughout the entire uh, two letters, primarily in Second Corinthians, but it does come up quite a bit um, in, in First Corinthians, but mainly Second. Um, and so what we're going to do is I'm just going to give you the bulk three pillars right off the bat. Normally, typically we'll draw them out as time goes on, but I think it'll be more beneficial in a more thematic sermon to just kind of get the chips out of front all on the table on this is what I see them being linked together through. And then we're going to talk about some things as, as we go through some passages 
um, how it works. So here's where it comes up. Obviously, it comes up quite a bit. A couple in 1 Corinthians, and then we got 2 Corinthians 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 11, 12, 13. So it's wired, you know, it's been webbed along um, quite significantly in these, in these books. Um, so here's one key concept that's going to be, you're going to see it over and over and over again. Okay, our God is the God of comfort, not suffering. All right, that he is the God who wants to fix suffering, will deal with suffering, and will use suffering, but he is not the God who desires and appreciates suffering. He will use it, but he is the God of comfort. He is the God who saves and relieves. That is his primary purpose uh, when suffering is part of the equation. Uh, second thing is that we are guaranteed to suffer in this life. It's not, it's, it's inevitable. You are going to, if you haven't yet, bless the Lord, but just live a little bit longer and you will guarantee it. It's going to happen in some fashion or another. This is part of being in a fallen world. And the third one is that suffering is never meant to be pointless. It's meant to be redemptive. Drew touched on this when he first opened up second Corinthians one, and he talked about his shift in perspective from a um, suffering being just suffering for suffering's sake versus suffering the way God uses it. It's always intentional or can be used intentionally to create some kind of redemption or redemptive asset to it. Um, so these three th pillars are going to follow us along through how we go through the book. I don't have time to, to read every passage, so I'm going to primarily focus on the way that Paul talks about suffering and the way Paul talks about how they're redemptive. Um, and those are going to be that kind of the, the beams that we go across as we go across these pillars. So um, let's just first show where these categories or the pillars come from. Second Corinthians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's all three, that God's a God of comfort, and therefore if he's a God of comfort, that we know that that means there's going to be things that need to comfort us, so we know that we're going to suffer. Secondly, Paul just straight up calls him, he's the God of comfort. He is the one who does it, so we know that that is how he operates. He operates as a comforter. And third thing, it's so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction because we've been comforted by God. There's the redemptive category. There's the redemptive part of it. So those three things are going to follow along everywhere that we go. Um, so pay attention to those. I'm, not, I'm only going to repeat them a couple times. All right, so here we go. We're going to talk about specifically, this is not meant to be like a thematic message on suffering as a whole. That's an entirely different thesis paper or sermon or whatever. This is specifically how does suffering and comfort come up in First and Second Corinthians specifically. So if you have other questions that might not be what Paul is trying to answer in the text. He's, he's spe speaking specifically. So I'm going to draw out the types of suffering that Paul talks about and the types of redemptive categories that Paul talks about, but they are limited to First and Second Corinthians. So I'm not going to be quoting a bunch of other suffering passages. I really do want to stay to what we're trying to draw out. Um, oops, so four, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we have felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So here's the first type of suffering. One, the world's fallen. You're going to suffer, period. Uh, we just had uh, one of our own family members last week who confessed and said there was a time in my life where I wanted to end it, and yet God saved me from that. Uh, the world is broken. The world is fallen. 
I remember two years ago waking up to my wife coming in the room crying and w telling me that our entire hometown was burned down. It was all gone. <clears throat> like the world just, it's just messed up. <laughs> you know, it, it does not take long. Um, I remember getting woken up to a call saying, you know, my uncle had committed suicide. Like I, there's, there's all kinds of suffering and yet God uses it, potentially uses it for redemption if we would so allow it to be used in that way. There is the worldly suffering, which is suffering for suffering's sake, but in our perspective, we have redemption. For example, uh, Horatio uh, Spafford is the author of the song, um, It Is Well With My Soul. If you know anything about that, the origin of that song, uh, it was in the 1800s, and he was an investor, lost a huge amount of money in the Chicago fire, huge thing, said, you know what, uh, we should take a vacation because of just this big thing. His four-year-old son died of scarlet fever shortly right after that. And then he said, you know, we really should take a vacation. He sends his four daughters and his wife along to England while he stays in America to go. And their ship sinks and all four of his daughters die. And his wife is a lone survivor. And she telegrams him saying, I alone have survived. And then he goes to meet up with her in England. And the captain says, hey, Horatio, this is the spot where your family died. And it's right then when he writes the words, it is well with my soul. It's okay. I'll be okay. Uh, and that's, it's hard, but it'll be okay. And think of the redemption c category here is um, that he, how many millions of people have been comforted by that song? So we have uh, two things. One, we rely on God as a redemptive ca uh, opportunity and we comfort others. So let me show you where I got those. So we can comfort others comes back from this one here, that we suffer so that we can comfort others. So we have the ability now to better comfort others when we have been through a time of suffering, that we know what it feels like, we know how to empathize. And then the second one, relying on God, was straight out of this one. It says, uh, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When the, when you're, the circumstances are so pressing and so trying that it forces you then to rely on God. And sometimes he will redeem the situation by delivering you from it, and sometimes he will not deliver you from it. And let me explain. So in this particular case in Paul's life, he says he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So this, in this situation, he took away that suffering. But there's going to be a time that we go up to later on that he doesn't. So either way, it forces us to rely on God, whether he's going to take it away or not. And it's okay for us to ask. Same thing with Jesus. He says, I'm about to go to the cross. If you can take it away, take it away. He asks him, but the answer is no. So it, it really depends. But either way, we're relying on God in the, in when we're suffering. And we can comfort other people. All right, next one. So to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. This is the context that... Um, He's talking about his ministry as an apostle. So as a Jesus follower, here's what I get to do. Paul says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. In other words, we suffer because we follow Jesus. There's going to be times where people hate Christians. There's much, much of the passages in 2 Corinthians are because directly because of persecution and willful want and damage to Christians. 
in the name of Jesus. It's going to happen. It happens all the time in our lives. I mean, I've recently read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Like, people just want to hurt Christians because it, it's, a, it's an offensive thing. Um, my friend, who I can't even name because his, he is in such a high-intensity area in the Middle East that he has to send me emails that are coded and encrypted um, because if it ever finds out that he's there preaching in the name of Jesus, he will be killed. Like, he is suffering in the name of Jesus. It's, we're going to suffer in this world if we follow him to the point where we actually will offend other people. If we actually say, this is the way of Jesus, this is the life of Jesus, this is the love of Jesus, there are people who do not like that, and they are going to start rumors about you or slander your name or do everything they can to make your life miserable. I deal with it frequently, and I'm sure you do too, if you've been any kind of way bold to actually share about Jesus. If you haven't shared, suffered because you follow Jesus, might be a litmus, litmus test that uh, you haven't really been bold enough to, in such a way to do so, but it's there. I guarantee it. You're going to suffer if you follow him. But the redemptive category, though, is our opportunity is that we become more holy. If you look back, it says when people persecute, now we endure it. When we're slandered, we entreat it. There, we have learned to, the fire has been put to the test on us and the impurities are getting boiled out. When I ask God for patience, he doesn't miraculously make me patient. He gives me situation after situation after situation that requires patience, which is trying. But then we become more patient over time. Like, hey, I'm more patient than I was three weeks ago after trial after trial after trial after trial having to be patient. So here we are uh, becoming more holy as a redemptive opportunity when we suffer. All right. For I made up my mind uh, not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me bl glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. Not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So in this situation here, Paul is the sufferer because of his fierce love for others. That, that when you, if you've ever been a parent or a teacher or somebody who you oversee, when you have an intense love for that person, they do something that you know is not good for them, it hurts inside. It is a suffering thing to know that somebody should be doing something that they're not. They're not living up to who they should be or they're running away from something and it hurts. Um, I think of any time a parent where they have a child that's gone away, especially the story of the prodigal son, where that story is not necessarily about the son. It's about the love of the father who still goes out and suffers, who his son gets disowned. He would have gotten disowned by his uh, um neighbors and stuff and then the son comes back from doing his own thing and he runs out to meet him in love and comfort and acceptance that is the god that's what the story is about that's our god who does that but we suffer when we have a fierce love for others uh quick side note like this is completely for free but people say that uh hatred is the opposite of love it's not hatred and love are both fueled by intense desire and love uh the opposite of love is apathy the opposite of love is not caring, which is why it's okay to suffer and be angry and be jealous over somebody who isn't doing something in the godly way. It's okay to be mad about that. It's okay to suffer for that because that means you love them a lot. All right, apathy is the opposite of a loving heart. Uh, and the redemptive opportunity from that is that we, uh, the joy and the growth of others, when we see the, the turnaround, 
They may or may not ever turn around, but if it is, the opportunity is there that we get so much joy from that, that we get joy out of seeing somebody turn around. We anguish and we anguish and we're burdened and we stay up in prayer and we stay up uh, doing everything we can to see this person turn around or this situation turn around. I don't know if you've ever been burdened by something in your life where God, for some reason, just like puts it on your heart and you're like, you lose sleep over it. That's the kind of suffering, but then the joy of if you ever see that get redeemed is amazing. Um, There's a whole portion of scripture coming up that I think summarizes these three things really well in Paul's life, so we're going to read those. Um, It's when he's boasting about all of his sufferings, but he does sum up these three types of sufferings pretty well. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So you can see here the suffering because he's following Jesus. And you can already see the suffering because the world's broken. He's on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toll and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure. And, and then here's the last one, apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. (laughs) So it's like, if it wasn't bad enough that I have all these physical things, mentally I'm just exhausted all the time because of my anxiety that the people who I've shared the gospel with would continue to follow Jesus. I I constantly have the weight and burden and anxiety of the people I love. All right, so he, there's all three of those that Paul is dealing with regularly um, that we've gone through. We only have a couple more to go. So the world has fallen. We follow Jesus and fierce love for others. These are the reasons that we suffer frequently as Christians. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So there's the suffering because the world's broken. We're in bodies that waste away. Okay, but then the redemptive opportunity is different. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, when you are in this life and you have so much pain and suffering, it jostles you to remember that this is eternity's, life, uh, eternity's timeline, not the temporal a tragedy will awaken you to think, I can't wait till this is over. It doesn't mean I sit around and wait for heaven, but it inspires and motivates action that we would actually go and, and start doing things that are heavenly now. We're called an eschatological culture. It means that we, are, we know that we exist in the future perfectly, but that, doesn't mean, that means that now we're working for that. Now we are preaching the gospel. Now we are relieving. Now we are, do, we are fixing injustices. Now we are stopping suffering. And tragedy and suffering refocus us to that. When you lose a child, you can't wait to see them again. When, um, I, I don't know, I'm like blanking on my examples that I had, but just know when, when suffering happens, it just shifts your mind to this can't be all there is or I am, woe is me if this is all there is. We have to be eternally focused and, and suffering allows us to shift our mind to that 
Uh, a couple more examples. I don't really want to read them, but they're they're there. I just didn't. I don't have time to go over all the passages. It would be just reading scripture and on time. So, Second uh, Corinthians five. There's a portion there where he talks about suffering for the fierce love of others, but then he talks about repentance, which is coming up. Uh, and then Second Corinthians five one through ten is his focus on eternity. That's where he's talking about. It's right after the passage of jars of clay, and it says that. Um, we know that this tent is here and to be away from our tent, our temporary tent, is to be with the Lord. And we can't wait to get there. So he's talking about um, focusing on eternity. And then Second Corinthians 6 um, is when he's, let me see. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's where he's talking about um, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, um, that we start to become more and more Christ-like in all these things. We're pressed but not crushed. Um, where we get to become more and more holy as a result of suffering. So they're a good thing. We turn it to realize this is good for me. This is boiling out the impurities. <clears throat> All right, a couple more. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that letter grieved you, though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief uh, that so that you suffered no loss through us. So the context here, remember, is that Paul is like the one who built this church, and then there, now there's other people coming in and saying he's not really worth it. And so then he's defending himself, but he's super upset by their lack of loyalty and trust in the gospel that he shared with them. So he writes them this really angry letter, and it causes them to, it causes them pain. Like it is a painful letter. He calls them out really hard, and they are like, pretty beaten up by it, but to the point where they shift and they repent as opposed to getting mad at him. So the reason we might suffer is that others fierce love for us. So if we put our minds in the minds of the Corinthians this time, it's like some, you might suffer some serious sorrow when somebody calls you out on a sin that you need to be called out on or in a way that you need to be called out on, or if you, it's self-induced. In, it basically, it's self-induced on your part, but if another person or God himself has a fierce love for you, there's going to be some suffering on your end because they care so much about you that you turn it around. And it's okay. That's okay for people to kind of lay into you when they need to because that means they love you. It's not meant to fracture your relationship. It's meant to turn you around. And I'm, I don't know how many times I've been offended. If you're a child in here, you know the frustration of a parent getting mad at you for doing something dumb. But then when you're an adult, you're like, that was a really good parenting, right? <laughs> like, I'm glad they did that. Uh, you know, like, I am more and more like my mom and dad every day because I'm like, oh, they did things really well. And at the time, I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. And now I realize it was good. Same thing's going to happen when we get to eternity. You know, what was that whole, do you remember this, God? Two years of anguish. Do you remember that? And he's going to be like, yeah, and then see what happened out of it. And you're going to be like, oh, All right. It, I mean, his fierce love for us or others' fierce love for us will cause us to suffer. Uh, likewise, the redemptive opportunity is repentance. Hey, here we have a chance to change. The suffering is okay if it leads to good results. The suffering is okay if it brings us back to Jesus. The prodigal son might not have ever come back if he didn't hate his life for a time, right? There's a period of time where he's like, this is terrible. Like, I, the suffering was finally worth it for him to go back, and the repentance was there. 
So, uh, yeah. All right, come on. Uh, so, to key, oh, one more thing from this one. We're going to cover the whole Titus thing in a little bit. So, if I forget, you're in charge of reminding me. Okay, we're talking about Titus. Because uh, the coming of Titus is a comforting fact, and I want to talk about that. I don't want to forget. All right. Um, so, to keep me from being, okay, this is Paul. The context of this is Paul talking about how he was taken up to the third heaven, and God showed him, like, a bunch of really cool stuff. And says, so to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, no. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So sometimes we're going to suffer, and it's going to be directly from God. Like, I don't, I don't always know when. We don't always know when. But sometimes he is just the one who is putting the heat on, and it's for a specific reason that we're going to find out later in life. But just know that we suffer sometimes because he is shaping us well. Um, and in that case, the redemptive opportunity was that he relies on God. Paul says, okay. That, yeah, that, I mean, my weakness is better than if that, if that means that you get to be with me, if I get to experience your presence, then I'll take the suffering because I would rather have that than no suffering and be apart from you. So there, I'll boast all the more in my weaknesses then. If that's the case, if, I, if that means I have to have you, bring it on. And that's the mentality I want to give to you, as, you know, as you're suffering. If suffering, if that means I'm close to you, Jesus, if that means that you are working in my life, if that means that I have you to comfort me and I can go comfort others, and I can repent of my sins, and I get to become more holy, bring it. That's what I want. It's only a weak theology and a weak feeling of truth that when suffering happens that we, we go, oh, this is, there must not be a good God. He must not be real. When the scripture is full of suffering, it's even full of frustration. It's full of frustration at suffering. It's, it's, the Psalms are riddled with confusion over what's happening, but yet we have everything we need to understand it. It doesn't make it any easier I mean, it's never, every time I've ever, I remember uh, Matt Chandler is a pastor of the village church and he gets diagnosed with a brain cancer and he's got a tumor or a tumor in his head that is cancerous and it gets removed. And before the process, he takes a video of himself saying, I am so glad God is using me in this situation. Whatever is going to come of it, I know that God's using me. And the end of it, he does recap that, man, this is the video that I sent right here. And he said, I had no idea it would be that hard. Here I was, I knew all the truth there was to know. I know what suffering brings. I know the redemptive qualities. I know the comfort. I know the church family. And it was still the hardest thing I ever had to go through. But I'm st I would never trade it. I still wouldn't trade it. And so I'm not saying this that we know this stuff is just an easy out that, hey, we don't suffer anymore. No, we're going to suffer, and it's terrible. There's times where suffering is so unbearable that we would rather die. But yet God gives us all these redemptive and good things that can come from it. And we need to be strong enough Christians and strong enough in our doctrine and our God, our good God and in our faith that it won't shake us and rock us to where we uh, are out. We have all the truth that we need. So moving forward, what is this? Yep, I will right here. Yep, thank you. This is, I appreciate that. Um, how is this week going to be different? Okay, so we have all kinds of things. Let me remind you of the pillars real quick. Our God is the God of comfort, not suffering. 
That he is first and foremost, he's not evil when we suffer. He is not the one who's laughing up there saying, I'm so glad. He is the God of comfort. He is the one who you can go to. Second thing, we are guaranteed to suffer in this life. It's going to happen. Just live long enough. Some it comes at a very young age. Uh, And suffering is never meant to be pointless. It is meant to be redemptive. So how is this week going to be different? Maybe for you, you've perceived your, like, God is not a God of comfort. Like, for me, I I tend to err to the side of God is still higher and loftier than I am. And in order for me to go to his presence, I need to kind of clean up my life a little bit. And if there's something I'm going through, that I need to fix it. And I miss, I lose sight that God wants me and you to go to him when we're hurting. He wants you to go to him. He is the God that wants to comfort you if you're there. So if that's if you're in a situation where you're uncomfortable and you're kind of staying distance from, from God because of some kind of suffering, don't forget he's the God of suffering. Go to him all the time. Uh, he knows what it's like. We're about to take communion. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be beaten. He knows what it's like to be hated. He knows what it's like to lose a son. He knows what it's like to suffer deep deep anguish. He is not a God that can't relate to you. He's the God of comfort and he wants you to go to him. Uh, second thing, maybe you're in a tough situation where you need a Titus. Like, so there's this, there's this verse back here. I'll break it down a little bit more. Um, oh, I should have just done it back then. Oh, well. Uh, but God who comforts the downcast, I'm in verse six at the bottom of this, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming, but, uh, also the comforting with which you comforted. So here's this really cool opportunity where God comforted through the use of another person. Sometimes he will do it through communion with him. When you just go get alone with God, you will feel comforted. And, but most of the time he operates, he does it through other human beings. So Here's how, like, the Titus thing works. I don't know what to call it. it. Everybody needs a Titus, right? Everybody needs that person that goes into their life and offers them comfort in a time of need. And so we should be praying for Tituses. We should be praying for people to come to us and say, I am in this situation. God, please send me a Titus. But if all of us were a Titus to somebody else, then all of us would have a Titus, right? Like, so you've got to be the one willing to go and comfort others in the time of need to be their Titus so that way when you need one, there's one for you. If all of us were a Titus, then all of us would have a Titus. So the charge to you is go comfort somebody this week. Who do you need to see that's hurting that you can go and comfort? So maybe that's what you need to take away. Maybe you had just had like four friends complain to you about stuff that's serious stuff. Maybe you need to go have dinner with them. Maybe, I don't know. What's this week look like for you, though, now in light of, in light of suffering and in light of this? Okay? Um, and let's see. Suffering isn't... Yeah, maybe you've just been angry at God. I don't know. Maybe there's, you're not understanding suffering and you're not understanding the redemptive quality. I think it's really important that if we're in a time of suffering, we understand why we're suffering. Like, what's going on? Is it because the world's just broken? Is it because of something I need to change? Like, why is the suffering going on? And how can I see the redemptive quality to turn it to, turn it to a glory to God? So, all right. Let's see. Oh, that's everything. All right, I'm going to pray. Uh, and then we're going to take communion. Heavenly Father, uh, you are the God of comfort all the time. Uh, It doesn't mean that we aren't going to suffer in this life. We know that we will. Lord, please be near enough to us that when the suffering comes, we still trust you. We still know you're good. Um, We still know that you love us and that it's for our good 
We pray that you would be with us this week, that we could comfort those in need. I pray that you would burden our hearts with, with suffering, that it would be real to us, that suffering is a, is a real thing that happens all the time, every day, um, but yet we are empowered to overcome it. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one last thing I want to say is, because um, <clears throat> keep, it keeps going out of my head, and I want to remember it. Um, oh, it's bothering me so much. I'm sorry, everybody that has to watch this as me try to, as I try to remember. Uh, it, it is more valuable for God to, instead of every time somebody asks to take away suffering, that he takes it away, like if the world watched Christians and if they just asked for suffering to go away, it went away, that is far less valuable than seeing a people that know how to suffer and yet they're okay with it. Does that make sense? Like that's what speaks way more volume to the world is that, that we shouldn't be desiring that the suffering is always gone, that the suffering is there and that us being okay with that and trusting God and the goodness of the suffering is way more weighty than having the suffering just go away. So be encouraged by that. Like the suffering is valuable. The suffering is there for us to grow. And there is going to be a time where it goes away. There's going to be a time where it goes away. It's just not yet. It's just not yet.